0: Alrighty, friends, let's come on in and find our seats, please. It's uh, time to begin. Uh, my name is Randy Patton, and it's uh, my privilege to be one of your instructors this weekend. It's a great joy to be back at uh, Calvary Bible Church, and I had the privilege of speaking here on the Sunday services about a year ago, and uh, also after being at the training in Granbury. So it's good to be back here for this conference and. I think the church is just doing a wonderful job hosting us, and man, those refreshments are fantastic. That's why we can't hardly get people to come back in here to <laughs> listen to the Bible. I mean, they're enjoying those refreshments so much. So, Well, find your notes, uh, please, that are entitled, Getting Your Counseling Off to a Good Start. And with our notes in front of us and this very important topic in front of us, let's pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, thank you for this uh, wonderful conference and for the excellent job the church is doing and caring for us. Uh, I ask now that you would help each of us to do our best in this uh, particular session. Help me to teach in a way that's clear, that's uh, precise, that's truly equipping for these brothers and sisters. And I pray for them that you would help them to listen attentively, and I pray that you would fill their hearts with hope that they can provide biblical counseling and that some of the suggestions that are made would help them to be more effective. I ask this for your honor and glory. In Christ's name, amen. All righty, our subject is getting your counseling off to a good start. How you start a counseling case influences how you finish. An awkward, stumbling beginning frequently hinders the counselor's effectiveness. It adds to the nervousness he may already be experiencing And it may cause the counselee to question the competence of the counselor. This workshop is designed to aid biblical counselors in developing procedures that will assist them in getting off to a good start as they begin formal counseling. Practical suggestions regarding subsequent sessions will also be provided Preparation is the key. And what I want you to do is underline that sentence, preparation is the key, draw a circle around it, and then put stars beside it. That's the takeaway. Preparation is the key. And I'm going to talk to you about preparing yourself in multiple key areas. First of all, getting your counseling off to a good start begins with you preparing yourself for the counseling process. I want to give five suggestions on how to prepare yourself for counseling, First of all, confess known sin in your own life and seek forgiveness of God and appropriate people. Uh, in biblical counseling, if you do very much of it, it's, you're going to notice that a common theme is that you're going to be finding yourself challenging people to lay aside sinful thoughts, sinful actions, be renewed in the spirit of their mind, put on godly behavior. You're going to be exhorting people to... Obey the Bible, whether you don't live by your feelings, do what God wants you to do, regardless of how you feel at the time. And, uh, <clears throat> it's really hard to, to exhort people in a convincing fashion like that when your own heart is condemning you. Don't ask me how I know that. <laughs> and so the place to begin is to confess known sin in your own life and seek forgiveness of God and appropriate people. Get a clear conscience between God and others. And then second, I would encourage you to meditate on Scripture that will encourage you for the task at hand. Uh, Doing biblical counseling can be intimidating, um, including for some of us who have a lot of experience, because people come in with just a boatload of troubles, and uh, they're wanting us to... Sometimes we feel like they want us to perform a miracle, and we're always fresh out. And um, what I have found very helpful to me is to meditate on Scripture that will encourage you for the task at hand. Um, Most of us, I would guess, are the kind of people who mark our Bibles. And I would encourage you to make it a custom that you always use your paper Bible when you're doing counseling, not an electronic device. And what I do is I just start typically with Proverbs. And I just start leafing through Proverbs, looking at verses that I've underlined. And then I go to Matthew and I just start leafing through it just page by page. And I just keep leafing through my Bible, you know, Matthew. And then a lot of times I'll jump to Romans and, and then Ephesians, Colossians or something. Just, you know, some of the key scriptures until I come across a verse that maybe I haven't meditated on for a while or haven't thought about. And it just. You know how you can read sometimes like a verse, it's just like it jumps off the page at you. You Ever had that happen? Yeah. And I'll just meditate on that. Think about it. Pray over it. Pray through it and so forth. If you're the kind of person who's got a brand new Bible or you don't underline your Bible, let me give you a couple of suggestions. Go to Psalm 19, verses 7 to 11 and read what the Bible says God does through his word to, to people. I mean, I'll fire you up to do biblical counseling. Or go to 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, in order that the biblical counselor may be thoroughly <laughs> equipped <laughs> for every good work. Or meditate on Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's a good reminder that the Bible can go where we can't go, and it can do what we can't do, all right? And I just have found meditating on verses like that just strengthens my heart, and um, I would encourage you to do that. And then number three, prepare yourself by reviewing the PDI forms and the basic information sheets for first-time cases. When you took fundamentals class, you should have been given a sample of a personal data inventory or what's sometimes called the basic information sheet or the basic information questionnaire. Uh, the one I'm familiar, most familiar with, the, the PDI, is a two-page sheet. And um, <clears throat> the basic information questionnaire has got five questions it. Question one is, what's the main problem as you see it? What brings you here? Question two is, what have you done about it? Question three is, what do you want us to do about it? Question four is... Uh, Describe yourself, what kind of a person are you? And question five is, is there any other information we should know? So there are just some basic, There's. there are very helpful ways of gathering information from people before the session. And um, my custom is with people I'm supervising, and just when I get to teach on key elements, number one, which is gathering data, uh, my advice is, that you use the PDI with anybody you don't know. So if people from the community are coming to your church and you've got a counseling ministry and you don't know them, you have them fill out a PDI and the basic information questionnaire. And you do not schedule the counseling session until they've been returned. The mistake that many counselors make, they're well-intended, but the mistake, I think, is... You agree, okay, we'll talk on Thursday night. Here's these forms. Get them back to me. I need them right away. I need them 48 hours before the session. Like, oh yeah, hey, I'll get it to you. No, they won't. And uh, so you don't schedule the sessions. I've got to have the forms back. Once I get them back, we'll schedule the session. And particularly for those of you that are beginning biblical counselors or view yourself as a novice, and I know I'm wow. speaking to an advanced class, but I've discovered many people take classes like these or tracks like these They're very interested in biblical counseling. They've done a little bit, but if asked, they would say, I'm a novice. I'm a beginner. And for those of you that are novices or beginners, I would exhort you to be hard-nosed about this. I have got to have the forms before I schedule a session. And people say to you, well, you know, we're teenagers driving us nuts. We've got to talk to somebody right away. Well, then get the forms filled out and get them back to me right away. All right, that's what I mean about being hard-nosed. The reason is a practical way for you to demonstrate your love for God and your love for your counselees is that you are determined to go into the session well-prepared. And if you're a novice, you're already going to be nervous. And if you go into the session not knowing what it's all about, your nervousness are going to be way up here, and you will not do your best. So I just tell people, listen, I'm sure what we're going to talk about is going to be important, and I want to prepare well, fill out the forms, get them back to me, and then we'll schedule our first get-together. And uh, if people don't fill out the forms, then you just save yourself an hour and a half or two hours, uh, probably trying to help somebody that wasn't really ready to... A lot of people call for counseling, and really what they want is not biblical counseling. They just want to vent to somebody. Okay? So uh, use the PDI forms and the basic information sheet. Now, having said what all I've said, I'd add this uh, word of balance. Do not use the PDI with people you know, with friends or relatives from the church, because it'll it'll be offensive, because it asks for name, address, phone number, spouse's name, name of your kids. And if you start handing those out to people from your church that you know, it's going to turn them off. I mean, it's like, okay, so you go to a counseling conference, and now you're handing out forms, huh? Uh, But you can use the what I call the pink sheet, the basic information sheet. I've always printed it on pink paper. And, uh, <clears throat> so even when I was a pastor, I'd have people from the church, you know, stop me after service. Say, hey, pastor, we got to, we'd like to get some time with you. We got to, we got some real problems with our in-laws. We need talked about it. I'd say, okay, let me go get my calendar. And I go get my calendar and two pink sheets. Say, so fill these out, bring them back to the service tonight, and then we'll schedule our time to get together. Or I may schedule something for them right then. Because the pink sheet will not be offensive. It'll say, here, fill this out. This is give me an idea of what we're going to be talking about. I mean, unless they tell you, you don't know. Are we talking about anger, fear, worry, pornography, alcohol, abuse? I mean, what are we going to be talking about? And especially, again, if you're not a veteran, skilled, or uh, say a veteran counselor, you need that to help you get well. So prepare yourself that way. Then point D in our outline Review your notes from previous sessions if this is the case in progress. And for those of you that have active, ongoing counseling ministries, and if you group your counseling, and I think there's wisdom in doing that, so like you're trying to do all your counseling on Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday night, you know, just session after session, if you're not careful, you can make the mistake of talking to Jerry and Connie only about 20 minutes into the session to realize this is Kenny and Shirley. Don't ask me how I know that one either. (laughs) So uh, review your notes from the previous session and get your head with who you're talking to. And then point E, evaluate your performance in previous sessions and determine appropriate adjustments. There is a tendency sometimes, if counselees are not changing and growing, for us to conclude that the problem is on that side of the desk. And oftentimes it is, but not always. And sometimes, uh, just the way we're seeking to minister to somebody is not as wise and prudent as it ought to be. And I'll tell you about one of my uh, one of my failures with the counselee. I had a couple come in for counseling when I, I was on staff at Faith Church in Lafayette on their Monday training program, and they had a wonderful counseling ministry to the community. So. I don't I've never lived in Lafayette, never been a member of Faith Church, but I for 24 years I was a part of their counseling training on Mondays. And uh, this couple comes in, they were assigned to me, and it's a couple where the the man is significantly older than the wife, and it's either the second or third marriage for one or both of them. And they have decided they've been through enough broken relationships, they want this one to work. And they heard we provided uh free free counseling, so they came for counseling. So as I'm getting to know them in session one, I concluded that the husband was spiritually, he's lost as can be. The wife is saved, maybe. And so I chose to give them Scripture reading assignments in the Gospel of John, which is what I would advise people to do when you're trying to evangelize somebody. And the typical assignment is, the way I do it, is, Read in the Gospel of John three times this week. Each time, seek to read three chapters. Record the day and time you read. Write out the most meaningful verse from each day's reading. Be ready to discuss. And then I tell them, as you read the Gospel of John, pay attention to who Jesus Christ says he is. Pay attention to what he does. And pay attention to how people respond to his teaching and his, his actions. And I said, and then we're going to talk about the word of uh, belief. And so this couple comes back, and in session one, I asked them, after I gave them the change and growth plan, I said, do you all have a Bible? And I still remember this. He looks at her and says, we got a Bible, don't we? And she says, yes, we've got a Bible. And I asked, do you know where it is? And she said, he said, I don't. And she said, well, I'll find it. I said, okay. So the next week. They come in with one of these what I call show-off Bibles, you know. You know, they're about that thick, you know, and got 20 pages of pictures and everything. And, of course, they're always in one of the hardest versions for people to read and understand these days. But they found their Bible. And so I ended up giving them a a Bible and everything. Well, in the first second session number two, as I checked on the change and growth plan, the homework, she had done it really a good job, but you've been diligent on it. He told me he started reading the Gospel of John, but got got busy with stuff, and basically he didn't do it. He had some sorry excuse, why well, he didn't get it done. So as we went along, I exhorted him that, hey, this is really important. You really need to be at the reading. And ask him to do better. He told me he would come back to session three, and it's almost a repeat performance. He'd read a little bit more, but not much. So I cranked up the heat a little bit, exhorting them, commended her, exhorted him to read more. Session four, they come back, and it's basically the same thing. But as I proceeded through later some doing some teaching, I had them open to their, some passage in the Bible, and I asked them to read it, and I asked him to read the passage. And he would read a few words, come to a bigger word, he'd stop and hesitate, she'd pronounce the word, He'd pronounce the word and go on until he hit another big word. He'd hesitate. She'd pronounce the word. He'd pronounce it and go on. All of a sudden, the dawns on me. Randy, you're cranking up this guy for not reading the Bible. He's barely literate. So uh, I'll call him George for a name. So at the end of that session, I just said, George, it looks to me like uh, the reading just my assignment's not working with you. But I really want you to get to know the Gospel of John. So I said, here's what we're going to do. When you leave the session today, you get down to talk to the secretary, schedule your next appointment, and then go to the other end of our building where we have what we call a resource center. And it's like a loaning library and a bookstore combined. And I said, just go up to the desk and just tell whoever's there, Randy wants me to listen to the Gospel of John and ask him for a CD of the Gospel of John. And this week I want you to listen to it three times, three chapters each time. So by the time I talk to you next week, you've listened to at least nine chapters. Are you willing to do that? He said, I'll, I'll try it. And I s- said to him, I knew he had a, like a half hour commute to his work. I said, just pop it in the truck when you, you drive. And I said, you can listen to it, you know, back and forth. So the next week to come back, session five, she's done the reading. So I asked him, I said, well, did you get to listen to the, the gospel, of John? He said, yeah, I did. And I said, did you get through at least nine chapters? He said, yeah, I got through a lot more than that. I said, really? And I said, uh, how many chapters you listen to? He said, I listened to the whole book twice. And he says, That is really some story. He said, You ought to listen to that sometime. <laughs> I said, Let me write that down. I don't want to forget that. <laughs> I stumbled onto his learning style. So, And what I understand in America today, the average reading ability is going down every year. I mean, we're not doing so well in our educational system in America. So I think you're going to encounter some Georges and some people. But if that's the bad news, the good news is we've got more ways to listen to the, the Bible and see the Bible through DVDs and podcasts and CDs and everything. And so I would encourage it, pre- but be alert to that. So my point I'm trying to make is evaluate your own performance in previous sessions and then determine appropriate adjustments. In that case, progress was not being made, but a significant re- part of the responsibility for it was on my side of the desk. So, okay, prepare yourself. Now, let's move on. Prepare the counseling room. Prepare the counseling room. And here are four or five suggestions on how to prepare the counseling room. First of all, I would exhort you to plan to sit at a table or a desk. And um, there are some people who will say that sitting at a desk is kind of off-putting, and they will teach you how to sit in chairs and so forth. I, I strongly differ with that. I would argue that a counseling session is not a social visit. It's much more like a business meeting. And uh, for me, a table or a desk, and I've done dozens of counseling sessions sitting at an eight-foot-long table in a Sunday school classroom. Okay, You don't just, you need a flat surface. That becomes my workbench. That's where I practice my craft. I'm going to have my Bible laying on it. I'm going to have my notes I'm taking. Or if I choose to type on a computer, I'm going to have my homework sheet. After session one, they're going to have their Bibles up on the desk, their homework. And uh, it is not off-putting at all. So plan to sit at a table or a desk. And then on the desk, I would encourage you to place the counselee's file, uh, an open Bible, a note paper, pen, homework assignment sheets, and a clock. The way I do it that I found helpful is if this sheet is where I'm taking notes, it'll be like this. And if you were to sit and watch, see me in a counseling session, my Bible will be open here, and the homework sheet will be off here, and at the top of this will be a digital clock. And um, my Bible is open when I start the session because I cannot look at my counselees without seeing my Bible in the peripheral vision. That's done for two reasons. Number one, remind me to use it. And number two, when I'm facing things that are really overwhelming to remind myself, hey, Randy, the the wisdom that's needed is not in you. It's right here, okay? And the clock is right there, a little digital West Clock alarm clock. And I can look at that many, many times during the session, and they never know that I look at it, okay? With people I'm supervising, one of the common problems that uh, beginning counselors or counselors pursuing certification have is controlling the length of a session, and one of the reasons they they struggle with that is they don't know what time it is. And I ask them, What well, do you have a clock right in front of you? And then I hear this over and over again. Well, I look at the clock on the wall. I said, now, think about that. You're talking to me. <laughs> I keep looking to see what time it is. What does that communicate? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Communicates, I want to get away from you, which is the opposite of what you want. So what you do, march down your local Walmart and just get one of those West Clock. I love my West Clock clock, and I just have that thing sitting right. Keep one in my counseling toolbox all the time and um, have it right there. So the point is I've got my things right there on the desk. Then point C, clear the remainder of the desk uh, to make it easy for the counselee to place his Bible, homework, pamphlets, books, and so forth on it. Point D, confirm, we're talking about preparing the counseling room, confirm that you have a, available a marker for the whiteboard that's not dried out, tissue for drying tears, and your calendar for scheduling the next appointment. And then point E, very important, you want to mute cell phones, desk phones, stereo, clock chimes, Anything that might be distracting, and for some of you, who are going to do counseling at your home. You need to mute your dog. All right. I listen to recordings of people doing counseling at the kitchen table, and I said, you got to do something about that dog, because with many of these things, I've got listed in the notes right now. In our home, all of our homes have noises, but we become so accustomed to it, we don't even hear them anymore. You know, and uh, so your goal is to remove as many distractions as possible to make it as easy for the counselee to concentrate. Prepare the counseling room. All right, number three in our outline. Prepare your biblical counseling toolbox with basic resources. <clears throat> now, uh, let me talk to you about toolboxes at my house. Right now, I've got two toolboxes. One is a, a black toolbox that... Um, replaced a gray toolbox, but it's a black one now. And in it, I have my favorite hammer, my favorite pliers, channel locks, long nose pliers. I've got some uh, electrical tape and just some other screwdrivers and some other basic tools. And at our house, when something goes wrong, I go get my black toolbox, pick it up, and I can fix a lot of things around our house with what's in my black toolbox. But occasionally, there's other problems of a significant nature where what I need is not in my black toolbox, so do I go to my big red toolbox. It's got multiple drawers, it's on wheels, and it's got all kinds of tools in it that I don't use very often. But when I need them, I need them bad. All right, you understand the difference? What I'm talking to you about right now is the equivalent, your counseling toolbox, that's the equivalent of my black mobile toolbox for those of you that are not on a church staff uh, your counseling is probably going to be done in a variety of places you know uh, this week you may be in the associate pastor's office next week you may be in the sixth grade boys' Sunday school classroom and the next week you may be at your kitchen table and uh, so you're going to need a mobile toolbox for those of you that are pastors, then typically pastors schedule their counseling at the church in their office, and they got their stuff right there at hand. So, um, in my current circumstances, um, <clears throat> I my office at home is in our basement, but I never count I've never done any counseling there. Always we always do counseling upstairs at the dining room table. So, when I'm going to have a counseling session, I grab my mobile toolbox and march upstairs and set it down to the left of my seat and open it up and pull out my stuff and get, uh, get, uh, get set up. So here's what, I want. here's what I would encourage you to put in your mobile toolbox. First of all, you need to have a Bible to loan or give away. And many churches already have those, but you need to get one or two that you have at hand, but have one in your toolbox all the time. And I have learned that when you ask people, just like the couple I was telling you about earlier, ask, do you have a Bible? And then you want to ask them, what version is it? And many people they either have a show-off Bible or they will have a Gideon Bible, which is going to be King James Version. And I grew up, I memorized a lot of verses from King James, but it's also the hardest version for people to understand these days. The other thing they'll have is they won't have a Bible. They'll have a uh, something like the Message which is, it's not a translation, it's more of a paraphrase. They have the Living Bible or something like that. So you want to ask them, do you have a Bible? Yes. Do you know what translation it is? And typically, if people cannot tell you what their Bible translation is, it indicates they don't read it very often. They're just really not that familiar with it. So you want to have a version to give away, and ideally it ought to be either the version you use and or the one that's used at your church. Okay? So have a paper Bible to loan or give away. And then I would encourage you also in your biblical counseling toolbox to um, put pamphlets by Jay Adams that are in the What to Do When series regarding marriage, anger, fear, worry, depression, and habits. Here's what they look like. And they're inexpensive. You can buy them for your church. You can buy them in bundles of 100 and it's costs like 30 or $33. So they're like 30 cents a piece, 33 cents a piece. You can get them at discounts. And uh, at the church I pastored and at Faith Biblical Counseling Ministries of Lafayette, we just gave those away. I mean, the, the cost is so minimal, we just gave those away. Oftentimes, these are what I use in my first uh, homework assignment. I like to use these because they're not intimidating. These are 8.5 by 11s or 8.5 by 14s, printed on both sides. They're not intimidating. They're inexpensive. You can give them away, but they deal with the six most common problems that people face in life. And uh, if your experience is at all like mine, uh, the one on the right, what to do when your marriage goes sour, I will use three times as many of that one as I use of the others. But most of my counseling was marital, and that's that's why. So get these. They're very inexpensive, and they're just tremendous. In fact, with all the people I supervise, I expect them to read these. And then point C, I would encourage you to buy select booklets. And let me just show you some of my favorites. And we're blessed in our day and time right now with wonderful, there's, just, there's such a surge of excellent writing in the area of biblical counseling and so forth. It wasn't always that way. but Now, right now, there is so much available that very few people have enough money to be able to afford to buy all of it, and nobody has time to read all of it. So you got to be selective. So I'm telling you what is in my toolbox, and I can tell you these work, at least they work for me in my counseling ministry. So the first one is Christ and Your Problems by J. Adams. It's an exposition of 1 Corinthians 10.13. There's no temptation taking but what's common to man. It's a great book for giving people hope. Uh, then How to Handle Trouble is uh, an exposition of Philippians 1, 12 to 26, where Paul's in prison when he wants to be out preaching and teaching. It's a great one. That book has been personally very helpful to me. The book on the right is How to Overcome Evil, and uh, that's an exposition of Romans. Do you notice how often I'm using the word exposition? Mm-hmm. These explain the Bible, and then about how to apply it. Uh, how to overcome evil is an exposition of Romans 12, 14 to 21. Bless those who curse you, bless and curse not. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, and so forth. I use that one with people who are being done wrong to. And I use that one almost all the time when I'm counseling somebody who's going through a divorce or whose spouse has left them for somebody else. Uh, here's a couple others. The book on the left, Help, I Want to Change, by Jim Newheiser. That's, that's become my favorite book when I want to teach progressive sanctification. He explains Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, our position in Christ and chapters 4, 5, and 6, how that is to work out in life. The book on the right, You Can Trust God. Um, my supervision assistant, a lady in Jacksonville, Florida, Lisa uses that a lot to give people really hope early on. And I've grown to really appreciate that book. Some of you have read the, his book, um, uh, Trusting God Even When Life Hurts. But, you know, that's a that's a heavy read, and I found most counselees can't get through it. This is just a summary of it, but it just it's designed to give people hope and encouragement. So select uh, booklets. And then point D, in your counseling toolbox, I would encourage you to put some books that are frequently used for homework. And here are the ones that I keep in my uh, toolbox. One is Finally Free by Heath Lambert, and that's the book that um, is excellent to use with people struggling with addiction, enslavement to sexual sin. The Gospel Treason by Brad Bigney is um, one to help people understand the matter of idols of the heart. Very, very helpful. The book on the left, Just Do Something by Kevin DeYoung, deals with um, decision-making and the will of God. How do I know if God wants me to to move or get a different job or so forth. And it's a short read. He's an excellent writer with a great sense of humor. And it is so helpful. Um, The book on the right is just, excuse me, is uh, Putting Your Past in This Place by Steve Byers. The fact is, we all have a past. And some of our counselees got a really big past. I mean, their hall of shame is big. (coughs) And they want to know how to How do I think about that? And this book is tremendous. Uh, Again, these are books that I require, everybody I supervise, they are required to read these and required to try to use them with a counselee. And consistently, people say, Randy, thank you for making me read that book. That is so good for me, helped me to figure out some things from my past. And when I use it with my counselees, it's just like they get so much hope and perspective. It's just wonderful. And then uh, Strengthen Your Marriage by Wayne Mack. I That's the book I've used more than any other single book in helping in doing remedial marital counseling. It's just tremendous. And uh, today at lunch, I had the privilege of having lunch with the pastors today. And we were talking about that book. And I said, there are three things I love about that book. Number one, it's written in a detailed outline. And you, if you follow any of my teaching, you know I like outlines. Number two... The the order of the topics is just, I mean, it demonstrates Wayne Mack was an experienced veteran counselor when he wrote that book. I mean, like, he calls them units, not chapters. But unit one is understanding God's purpose for marriage. Most people, Christians, don't have the foggiest idea of what that is, which helps explain why they're in the mess they are in in their marriage. And it's interesting, the longest chapter in the book is on parenting, The next longest chapter is on communication. And in our culture, where there's so many your kids, my kids, and our kids, so many blended families, if you're doing marital counseling, inevitably one of the issues that's going to have to be addressed is parent-child relationships. This book is just tremendous. The third part is at the end of each unit, there's very helpful, perceptive questions that people are asked to answer and my custom is when I'm doing counseling with a couple, I ask the cup, each of the couple, each individual, to buy a book. I want the husband to have his own copy and the wife to read, have her own copy. And, you know, the book's only $15 or so, and uh, you can buy them at discount. It's tremendous. So get those books, get them in your counseling toolbox. And then you may want to add to your counseling toolbox just some personal aids. And here's what I draw your attention to uh, the quick scripture reference for counselors by John Cruz, by the way, who is Jason Cruz's grandfather. And, um, it's a wonderful book. It's arranged topically. So if you want to, it's just like a book on say adultery, just open up a adultery. And then he's got all kinds of, and they're spelled out. I mean, they're not just the references or if you want to look up homosexuality, just turn it up. And, uh, So this is a great resource. Also, I would encourage you to put pen and paper or a digital device for taking notes. And then I would encourage you to have a carbonless duplicate paper for assigning homework, some way to give homework assignment. All right. The question is about basically it's about whether you give the stuff books away or uh, the custom I did at my church. Um, and then what we did at Faith biblical counseling ministry was we gave away the pamphlets by Jay Adams. And then once we got beyond that, we asked people to pay for the resources. And usually we were able to buy them at a little bit of a discount. And um, I know when I was at Faith, we as counselors had the opportunity of, if we thought people were really in a financial jam and they couldn't afford this. Give it away. I seldom did because I think, you know, people have got some money. They're spending it on something. And I would say, well, you know, pay a couple bucks a week or something, you know. But um, so I would encourage you to charge them. What I do is I keep it in my one of the each of these in my toolbox, my copy that's marked up. And I show them, here's what I'm going to have you do. And if you're counseling at your church, you got a counseling secretary that's helping you with things, say, now when you go down to the secretary, I've got it written here, tell her you want strength in your marriage. And this she's probably going to charge you about $15 a piece for them. Get two of them. And if you can't pay this week, pay next week. So, yeah. Okay. Let's move on. Number four, we're talking about getting your counseling off to a good start. Preparation's the key. Number four is prepare a tentative agenda. Prepare a tentative agenda. And I argue that one of the practical ways that you demonstrate your love for God manifested in the love for people is that you prepare carefully what you're planning to do, what you're planning to accomplish in the session, I, I want to speak strongly against winging it. Okay? My guess is that, that all of you, I mean, if you're interested enough in Christ and biblical counseling to come to a fundamentals and an advanced track, any one of you could sit and yak with somebody for an hour about religious things. I mean, that is, quite frankly, it's no trick for you to do that. All right? And people might feel blessed, thank you, when they leave because they feel better that they told their story, that somebody seems interested and cared. But that's not excellent biblical counseling, all right? So one of the ways you can demonstrate your love is to prepare an agenda. And one of the questions that frequently asked is, okay, Randy, I believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. I want to help people, but I got my first counseling coming. What do I do? Okay, here's what the answer to that question. So for the first session, here's what you do. You start by chit-chat building involvement. And, you know, chit-chat could be, do you have any trouble finding the church? Boy, it's been hot, hasn't it? Uh, how you think the Cowboys are going to do next weekend? I mean, just chit-chat. And if they're wearing a sports shirt, you can talk about that or something. So it's just a little bit of chit-chat. For me, the chit-chat is usually about three to four minutes. Okay. and again the reason for that is people are not coming to see me to build a friendship this is not a social visit this is a business meeting okay so after they do that I explain the procedures and here's how it goes for me let's say a couple comes and let's just say their names are just Kenny and Shirley and uh, I chit chat with them a little bit and I'd say well I'm so glad you guys have come. Thank you for filling out the uh, personal data inventory and the basic information sheet. I've read that uh, very carefully. I appreciate your thoroughness. And as I read it, uh, I got—I really got concerned and looking forward to meeting with you because I want to help. These are important matters. So I said, let me tell you what's going to happen. In this first session, there's a verse from the Old Testament in the Bible that really influences me. And it's Proverbs 18, verse 13. That verse says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it's folly and shame to him. And what that verse means is that if I try to give you advice with just having read your written forms and I just start telling you how to rearrange your thinking or your life right now, God says, I'm a fool. And I'd probably give you lousy advice. Well, I don't want to be a fool in God's eyes, and you don't want lousy advice. So what I need to do in this session is ask questions. And what I need you guys, just be open and honest with me. Don't send me on a fishing expedition for the truth. If you do, I'll go fishing. But then it's just going to take that much longer for me to get to the issues and to get to the solutions that I'm sure you want. And I said, uh, after I ask some questions, and that'll probably take us 45 minutes or so, and then I, my goal will be, before we end our session, that I'll be able to give you some, at least some initial direction to get us headed toward long-term solutions. And I'll end up giving you a change in growth plan, some things you can get started on this week that will get us headed toward long-term solutions. Does that seem okay to you? Everybody says yes. And then I pray for them, for me, and for the session. And my prayer, as I pray for them, I'd say, Lord, thank you for the privilege of meeting Kenny and Shirley. And, Lord, would you help them to be comfortable with me? Help them to be open and honest. And, Lord, help me to guide the session with wisdom and discernment. And I pray that the Lord Jesus Christ would be honored for this session. In Jesus' name, amen. And while all of this is taking place, I've been sitting back from the desk a little bit. I've been leaning back. I'm cool, calm, and collected. But when I say amen, my demeanor has changed. And I've leaned forward. i picked up my pen. And now I am a detective on a mission. To understand what's going on and to figure out what we're going to go from here. And so I will start by asking for a life history. Asking for a brief life history. <clears throat> and uh, I usually start by asking the husband. I tell him I want the Reader's Digest version. I'd like you to do it in about 7 to 10 minutes. And um, So I usually start with the men because they're usually a little bit briefer than the women. And I also know that if he leaves out anything significant, she'll tell me. (laughs) So uh, I I start with the men first. And uh, what I have found, folks, is that as people tell me their life history, starting with where they were born and raised and what kind of a home were you born into, as they tell me the high points, I tell them I want the helicopter view. I don't want all the details. I just want the helicopter view high points, inevitably, I get information that helps me understand them and why they do what they do and why they think the way they think in some areas. Just always so helpful. And then I began doing extensive and intensive information gathering. And you remember back from fundamentals, extensive data gathering deals with the big, broad, wide areas of life. Intensive data gathering is when you're talking about a particular area and you're asking multiple questions in that area. So for me, here's the outline that I typically follow for my extensive data. I start with their life history. Then I'm going to ask some questions about their spiritual relationship or their spiritual standing. Then I'm going to ask some questions about husband wife. Then some questions about parent child. Then I'm going to ask some questions about um, their health and the issues there. Then I'm going to ask some questions about uh, influencers in their life, you know, what social media they're on, what their favorite TV program is, who their best friend is. And then I'm going to come back and finish with the presentation issues that brought them in for counseling. Okay? So if you look at me, I'm going to big, broad areas. The reason is I say to them, I want to just get to know you and the I want to get the lay of the land of your life because I know you want to come and talk about your rebellious teenager. And we're going to get to that, I I promise. But I want to understand some other things because sometimes there's stuff going on in other areas that's affecting that area. And if you don't ask some questions in some of these other areas, you can end up giving advice in that area and it'll appear utterly foolish to them because you didn't know, and if you didn't know, oftentimes it's the counselor's fault for not asking. So and then intensive, so when I'm asking questions about their, say, their husband-wife relationship, I'm going to ask four to six, maybe seven questions about that. When I'm asking questions about parent-child, I'm going to ask four to six questions in that area. When I ask questions about their health or their work schedule, I'm going to ask you know questions about that i going to kind of just poke around on a whole bunch of areas. So extensive is the big broad area. Intensive is where you're in one of those areas. You're asking multiple questions. Then you move to another area and ask multiple questions with that. All right, point F in your outline. After you've uh, <coughs> um, done the extensive and intensive information gathering, then you'll need to deliver biblical instruction to give hope and build commitment. And let me give you a philosophy of counseling strategy that I think could be a blessing, particularly those of you that are novices. I think it's wise that in session number one, you do not have to address directly the presentation issue. But you have to do something to point the people toward Christ and toward a life of biblical obedience. Now, if you understood what I just said, and you're a beginner, you should just... <sighs> because what keeps many people who are interested in biblical counseling from actually doing it is, they say, oh, I just I just don't think I know the Bible well enough. And if they ask a question about homosexuality, I, I think I only know one verse. And Or if they want to ask about transgenderism, and that's why they want to... I, I don't know what I do. And so... Because they think I've got to be ready to answer any question or address any counseling issue that they might bring up in session one, they don't even start counseling. Well, I want to dispel that by saying in session number one, and this is with the people I train as a supervisor, you do not have to address directly the presentation issue, whatever it is. But you've got to do something to point them toward Christ and toward a life of biblical obedience. So with the people that I supervise, one of my assignments is they have to develop three strategies on how they can point people toward Christ and a life of biblical obedience in session number one. You don't use all three in one session, but one of them ought to be something that takes you maybe, uh, you know, 10, 11, maybe 12 minutes. One of them ought to be something that's going to take you 7 to 10 minutes. And one of them ought to be something you can get done 3 or 4, maybe 5 minutes. So... Um, for me, I'll tell you what my three are. Uh, if you've seen the DVD uh, of me counseling a couple named Trey and Deb, session one, and you remember I would go to the whiteboard, i do what's called the do right, do wrong chart. That usually takes me you know, 10, 11, 12, maybe sometimes 15 minutes, depending on how wordy I get. It's very effective, but you need a whiteboard to do it best, and you've got to memorize the scriptures. But that is really effective with people. But sometimes you don't have 10 to 15 minutes. You don't have a whiteboard. So n- option number two for me is I like to use Matthew uh, 18, um, 28 to 30. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. And I've studied that passage and meditated on it and it's become meaningful to me. And I've learned how to explain that in a way that with many people it just fills their heart with hope. I mean, that, that is such a wonderful passage. And uh can be very, very meaningful to people. And usually that one takes me, you know, seven, ten minutes. Sometimes you don't have seven, ten minutes. So on briefer ones, I use Proverbs 4.23. That passage says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the issues of life. And I've learned how to explain that one in three or four minutes in a way that seems to really motivate counselees to come back and to do the change and growth plan. All right. So the point is, um, I would encourage you to think of three ways that you could point people toward Christ and toward a life of biblical obedience in session one. And you practice. you don't use all of them. You just use one of them, whatever's best for the situation. Then you go home that week and you think about all that you heard, You review your notes you kind of get your game plan developed and you come back to session two and you are loaded for bear. I mean, you're ready to go to work because you got a plan then. And it's not something you just did on the, the spur of the moment, but you thought it through. And then point G, you want to provide a change in growth plan. Uh, this is frequently called homework. You want to explain the connection between it and the solutions to the presentation problem. And one of the ways I... Uh, try to do that um, is by just explaining. I want to help you to, to minister, like for example to your rebellious son from a position of spiritual strength, not from a position of spiritual weakness. The way you described yourself earlier uh, I wouldn't say you're really in a strong place spiritually, but you can get there. I'll help you get there. And um, so you explain the connection between the change and growth plan and the solutions to the, the presentation problems. And then you want to have a closing exhortation, encouragement, and meaningful, appropriate prayer. And uh, so I think on session one, I think it's, you know, a lot of times session one will take an hour, 15 minutes, maybe a little bit longer. Uh, But if you follow that plan, I mean, if you're wondering, what do I do in session one? Here's the plan. And then uh, just. You go through and map out how much time you want to spend on each one. Okay, let's say you did that. The council needs come back, so now you've got a session that's in process. What would your agenda be for that one? All right, here's a suggested agenda. Chit-chat, building involvement. You want to pray for them, for you, and the session. And then you, point C, evaluate whether to pursue your agenda or if it needs to be modified. And I ask one of the following questions at the beginning of a session to help me determine how to proceed. So one of the questions I sometimes will ask is this. Are there any changes in your circumstances that I ought to know about which might change how I use the time with you in this session? And Kenny and Shirley may say, oh, no, not really. Or they may say, well, uh, our son got arrested this last week. That's probably going to change the agenda some. Or one guy, a couple, another couple I was working with, I asked them that. They were come from marital counseling, and he said, "Well, I don't know whether it's a change it or not, but he said I've I've worked for the same place for 25 years. I thought I'd retire from there, but our company was sold six months ago, and on last Tuesday I got a pink slip." He said, "I've never been unemployed in my life," and his voice is breaking. That changed the agenda. See, but if you don't ask, a lot of times you don't know. Uh, Or another question is, I like to ask this one. How did what we talked about last session help you this week? Or an alteration to that is, how did the homework I gave you last session impact your thinking and your behavior this week? I like those questions that get it focused on change. So you evaluate whether or not to pursue your agenda. Then point D, you carefully review the change and growth plan with clarification and application of what the counselee is learning. Uh, one of the tendencies that I see as I'm a supervising people, there's a tendency just to say, okay, did you read the Bible three times? Okay. Uh, did you read or memorize this verse? Okay. And it's like you're just going, no, 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 no. What you want to do is, did you read your Bible three times? Okay. Tell me about the most meaningful, tell me your day and time when you read. And what you want to encourage your counselees to do is go home from the session and start reading the Bible, you know, the next day, um, I learned to start on my change of growth plan to be saying to write out, record the day and time you read, because I caught one of my counselees before a session as I'm walking around the building with somebody in our training program. I see my counselee out in his car, and it looks like he's reading. So in the session, I said, uh, well, did you do your Bible reading three times this week? Yep. And I asked, him, said, when did you do your reading? He said, well, I read it last night. He was reading Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He said, I read it again this morning, and then I finished it this afternoon. I said, were you just finishing out there in the car? Yeah. I said, well, that's not what we're after. You're cramming for the exam. We want life change. Why don't you start reading tomorrow? And then maybe the day after that. Ideally, we'll be working toward reading every day. But So carefully review the change and growth plan. And then deliver additional teaching... If necessary, um, a lot of times, um, a lot of times the change and growth plan can accomplish the teaching. In other words, I want to encourage you to think about wringing all the good you can out of the change and growth plan. Uh, again, it's another illustration if you've seen the DVD where I'm counseling Trey and Deb on session number two, where we went over the pamphlet, what to do when your marriage goes sour, we spent 38 minutes on an eight and a half by 14 sheet. That's an illustration of trying to wring all the good out of it you can. There, and if you watch that, I think there was a good, helpful interaction with them. So deliver additional um, teaching if if needed, and then point F: provide an updated change and growth plan. Seek to motivate the counselee to diligent effort. Um, I think there's value in telling your counselees what we're working on is important, and it's probably going to need 30 minutes a day from you. And are you willing to give 30 minutes a day to working on this at least? And then point G, you would have closing exhortation and encouragement, followed by a sincere, appropriate prayer. Now, number five, prepare a tentative change and growth plan. One of the questions that frequently comes up is, okay, I understand hear you're teaching about homework. What should be in it? Here is the framework I would encourage you to use around which you build your homework. There ought to be strategic scripture reading. There ought to be meaningful scripture memory There ought to be loving, um, or point C, helpful theological reading that explains biblical principles and application pertinent to the presentation problem. And then point D, you want to have loving deeds or acts of service. E would be church attendance and note-taking regarding the lesson or the sermon and its application to his life and fervent focused prayer. Just a quick word. Um, Years ago, I did some extensive reviewing of some of my counseling. I was trying to figure out why is it that some people I counsel go on for Christ after graduation? And why is it that some people, after I've counseled them and I graduate them, they go on for Christ for six weeks, six months, and then they make a big old U-turn, and I hear they've gone back to the old ways. And that's very discouraging. And I tried to figure that out, and... I reviewed a bunch of my cases, and I concluded that the ones who I graduated and who went on for Christ, and I met them when I got to speak in their church or at a conference or something, years after I counseled them, I concluded that the reason people went on is that over the course of the counseling, I had helped them develop spiritual disciplines that carried them forward. With the ones that made the big old U-turn, I failed to get them to form the spiritual disciplines. So my advice to you is when it comes to the change and growth plan, begin with the end in mind. And for me, the end in mind, what I want from each one of my counselees is they've become disciplined in these six areas right here. So from session number one, I'm building the homework around that. So, for example, strategic scripture reading, I'm going to start by asking the person to read their Bible three times this week. Now, you'll say, well, they ought to read the Bible more than that. I know. But I encourage you, ask your Christian counselees, how many times did you read your Bible last week? And then ask them, and how many times did you read your Bible the week before that? I've asked that to dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of counselees professing to be Christian. And the most frequently given answers to those questions are, Zero, one, and two. So if I'm going to read the Bible three times, for most Christians, that's going to be an improvement. And then after they become habituated to reading the Bible three times a week, then I'm going to ask them to start reading the Bible four times a week. Then later I'm going to ask them to start reading the Bible five times a week. And my goal is by the time they graduate, they're reading the Bible in a meaningful, systematic manner five times a week. Okay, But you've got to start somewhere. And same with meaningful scripture memory and so forth. Okay, we've got to move on. Number six, how to get your counseling off to a good start. Number six in our outline, prepare the counselees. And here's two suggestions on that. Number one, greet the individuals warmly and optimistically. I mean, if you've been meditating on the scripture like I suggested at the beginning, And you're thinking, you know, um, God's going to be at work here. I'm going to use the scriptures. It's quick and powerful and so forth. Uh, There ought to be a a smile. There ought to be some optimism about you. There ought to be some excitement about seeing what's going to happen. And then uh, point B, communicate hope and encouragement by your demeanor. One of the stories I like to tell is years ago I supervised a lady from here in Texas somewhere. And um, after she she did a nice, really nice job. And after she finished, I encouraged her to you know give me an update in a few months on how things were going along. And she sent an email six eight months later and um, gave me an update on her counseling and thanked the the NAC staff for what had been done to help her through the whole process. And in one paragraph, she just says, "Randy, I know it won't always be this way, but I was driving to the church this morning and I've got four cases today." And she says. Uh, it, they're all moving forward in a good way. I know it will always be this way. And she said, it just dawned on me, God has given me a front row seat to watch him change people's lives. And she said, I was, I was driving through my tears. just My heart was so full about where would I get. Well, if that's your perspective, then when you go to meet your counselee in the, the waiting room, that, that ought to show, right? So greet them warmly. Well, here's my closing exhortation. If you do these things, if you prepare, preparation is the key. If you prepare, then you'll be able to say, or I will say to you, you are prepared, now minister God's life-changing word to hurting people. Preparation is the key. So, thank you for your good attention. We're right on time. I'll afford to seeing you tomorrow, and i got a couple of sessions with you that I'm quite excited about. So.